Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Vortex Optics, with the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And Quest Nature Tours, offering expert-led small group tours for bird and nature lovers since 1970. Explore exceptional journeys around the world at questnaturetours.com. And Beauty Books, an independent, family-owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. Beautyobooks.com. Good morning, afternoon or evening. Well, over the past few weeks... Uh, we've enjoyed listener audio postcards from Panama, London, and California. And today we have one from our Talking Birds home state with kindergarten teacher Christy Wyman and her very enthusiastic bird poem reciting class in Weston, Massachusetts. Take it away, kids. Hi, Ray. This is Christy Wyman, kindergarten teacher in Weston, Massachusetts. Those were my kindergarten friends learning all about the Blue Jay, reciting a poem that I wrote for them with some Blue Jay facts sprinkled in it called JJ. Hope you enjoyed it. We did, and I think they did too. Thank you so much, Christy. Another audio postcard. You can send us one about whatever bird stuff you're doing. Just email it to me, Ray at Talking Birds. Dot com Ray at TalkingBirds.com, and I think I neglected to say welcome to our show, number 918. We haven't done an update about bird flu for a while, but it's most definitely still out there with dramatic impacts on birds all over the world. And not only birds, as a story this week from Montana demonstrates, bird flu there has led to the deaths of three grizzly bears. According to Montana Fish and Wildlife, the bears were euthanized after they became ill and tested positive for avian influenza. These are the first reported cases in bears in Montana, but the department says the virus was found in a skunk and a fox last year, and the virus has been seen in raccoons, black bears, and a coyote in other states and countries. Meanwhile, uh, the Centers for Disease Control, CDC, continues to say that human infections with bird flu are rare, but possible, usually after close contact with infected birds. And they continue to say that the current risk to the general public from bird flu viruses is low. Birding festivals. Well, the Cornell Lab keeps a comprehensive list of bird-themed festivals and events all around the country. And we have a convenient link to the list. You'll find it under the Get Involved tab on our TalkingBirds.com website. Just looking at one from the list, uh, this one's in Northern California. It's the Snow Goose Festival of the Pacific Flyway. That's January 26th to the 29th at the Patrick Ranch Museum in Chico, California. If you're out that way, check out the details for that at TalkingBirds.com, the Snow Goose Festival of the Pacific Flyway. kind of uh, 
scary-sounding bird is our mystery bird. Preview here of the contest coming along in just a little bit. We'll give you the signal and invite you to call in uh, when you hear that signal for the contest this morning. Our mystery bird is a gull relative named for the two main strategies it uses to acquire food, with the first half of the name referring to its habit of stealing food from other birds, and the second half coming from the German word for hunter. Our bird has long, pointed, falcon-like wings, and the two central tail feathers of adult birds in breeding plumage extend well beyond the rest of the tail. There are two basic forms, or morphs, distinguished by color, The light morphs are brown across the back and tail with a blackish cap and white collar, uh, collar, that is. In the dark morphs, the white areas on the head and underparts are replaced with brown. In North America, our mystery bird breeds in northern Canada and Alaska and spends winters along the coasts of California and the Carolinas and down into Mexico, West Indies, and points south. Clues and such for our mystery bird and beautiful prizes, as always. And just a reminder, too, that's something we started um, a few weeks ago and continuing into the first week of February. Every mystery bird contest winner since we started that will be entered into a drawing for a beautiful prize from our friends at Vortex Optics, a pair of 8x42 Vortex Viper binoculars. We'll show some love to the randomly chosen winner on our closest to Valentine's Day show on February 12th. So a little something extra in our Mystery Bird contest here in the new year. Uh, other prizes for today include, from our wonderful new prize provider, Brome Wild Bird Care, a Brome Mega 600 metal tube feeder with six seed ports, four-pound seed capacity, and the patented seed tube ventilation system, that permits humidity and hot air to escape through the vents at the top of the feeder and replaces it with fresh air. So the food, the bird food, remains fresher, attracting more wild birds. Pretty cool idea, literally and figuratively. From our friends at Birds and Beans, a 12-ounce bag of bird-friendly, shade-grown, delicious Birds and Beans coffee. If we have time for a bonus question, we'll try to give away a feather-friendly bird window collision prevention kit. All on our Mystery Bird Contest coming along just a little bit later on in our show today. We are so grateful to so many listeners who have become Talking Birds ambassadors. They're the folks who help us do what we're trying to do, get the word out about the wonder of birds and the importance of conservation. And today we'd like to thank Kathy from Santa Fe, New Mexico. Kathy says, just visited Bosque del Apache, a stunning and amazing refuge. Yes, indeed. We mentioned snow geese a couple of minutes ago, and Bosque del Apache is famous for huge flocks of snow geese and sandhill cranes in the winter, along with something like 300-plus other bird species down there in Socorro County, New Mexico, straddling the Rio Grande Valley. Thank you, Kathy. And thanks to Jason Wayne from East Palestine, Ohio. And for the second week in a row, with help from Jason, we're saluting an ambassador who has also signed up as a Talking Birds proud plurter, pledging to pick up litter while birding. That's plurting. Jason says, I've been a plurter for a while now and didn't even know it had a name. At a local preserve, we wait until the water gets low from the lack of rain. We once pulled out 25 bags of garbage. 
and a car bumper. We do it for the love of nature. Leave it better than you found it. Beautifully said, Jason, and thank you. Talking Birds listeners, won't you please consider joining Jason and Kathy and hundreds of other listeners as a Talking Birds ambassador and help us spread the word about birds and conservation. Just click that very versatile Get Involved tab at TalkingBirds.com to sign up as an ambassador and maybe as a proud plurter, too. Still to come today, we'll learn about a fascinating study that looked at how two similar birds of prey inhabiting the same patch of territory figure out who's going after which target. Also today, Mike O'Connor will join us for a Let's Ask Mike segment, almost live from the archive, about a special day aimed at fighting back against illegal pet industry activities. And up next, a feisty little bird with a powerful voice and a pop-up tail is today's featured feathered friend. Presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. In my mind, I'm gone to Carolina. Nothing could be finer than to be in Carolina in the morning. Well, all right, raise your hand if you've already figured out that our featured feathered friend today is the Carolina Wren. A bird that is very small, but very loud. In fact, when you first hear the Carolina Wren and then see it, you might think this tiny bird is wearing a wireless mic hooked up to a tree-mounted loudspeaker. And this bird sounds off a lot. One captive Carolina Wren was measured singing nearly 3,000 times in a single day. Look for a small, buff-colored songbird with a white throat, chin, and eye stripe, and rust-colored wings and tail with dark striping. And that characteristic wren habit of often holding the tail in a vertical posture. You'll find the Carolina wren year-round these days in pretty much the entire eastern half of the U.S. Increasing temperatures over the last century may explain why the bird has expanded as far northward as it has. Maybe not surprisingly, in cold winters up north, populations of Carolina wrens fall pretty dramatically. Here's more of that Carolina wren song, performed only by the male, and representing one of the loudest songs per body volume of any bird. It's Thryothorus ludovicianus, the Carolina Wren, today's Talking Birds featured feathered friend. Welcome again to our show number 918. Well, when two similar bird species inhabit the same local area and whose food sources are very similar, how do they coexist? Or do they? Well, our guest today, Elliot Miller, research scientist at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, wondered about this and along with colleagues, conducted a study to try to learn the answer. And he joins us right now from Ithaca, New York. Good morning, Elliot. Oh, we, we don't seem to have Elliot there right at this moment here. Let, can we try again? Elliot, are you, are you there? We'll try to connect with Elliot. In the meantime here, there's a little reminder about uh, something that we're pretty happy about, and that's our Talking Birds flock. It's a Facebook group for Talking Birds listeners, and uh, hundreds of members have now joined in sharing videos and photos and thoughts and suggestions and all kinds of stuff about birds. And uh, 
you can uh, join the flock. Pretty easy to do. You can go to Facebook.com um, and then just put Talking Birds Flock in the box there. I think we're going to try to get Elliot on the phone here since our Zoom machine doesn't seem to be working. We've, we've had such wonderful success with our Zoom machine over, over the time, and all of a sudden today, uh, not so much. But good old-fashioned telephone we're hoping is going is gonna to work out here uh, this morning. Anyway, that uh, Talking Birds flock, it's kind of a fun thing. Again, uh, you can do it through our website or facebook.com, and then just type in Talking Birds flock in the search bar there to uh, connect with our flock. Coming up in just a little bit, our mystery bird contest, and of course the drawing for that uh, beautiful pair of binoculars from Vortex will be part uh, of uh, uh, an ultimate prize for that because we'll do a random drawing around Valentine's Day for that, for all the winners since we started this little special thing from our friends at Vortex. So, uh, I don't know, we're still, we're having trouble now with the phone part of this to connect uh, with uh, with Elliot Miller. And uh, see if we, are we making any progress on that? Let's see. We can see you fine, Elliot, for that's for what that's... <laughs> For what that's worth, uh, but uh, yes, this is radio, so that's not uh, that's not helping. I wonder if oh, I, Elliot is answering his phone. That is a good sign there. Of course, that might be somebody else calling him, but uh, I know we're calling him for sure, and I think we might have him there. Uh, good morning, Elliot. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> it's going great. Going even better now that we've uh, connected with you. Yeah, sorry about that. That's our first uh, Zoom crash, it seems like. So uh, we've got the phone here, too, as a a backup. So the premise there, two similar bird species inhabiting the same local area, looking for pretty much the same food sources. How do they coexist? Elliot Miller, research scientist at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, wondered about this, and um, he's going to kind of tell us what... What he found, uh, uh, so uh, uh, good morning again, Elliot. Your study focused on two exhibitors, the Cooper's hawk and the sharp-shinned hawk. Um, What did you find out about this coexistence idea? Yeah, um, well, thanks for having me. Um, Sorry for any Zoom troubles. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, so it's a really neat system, right? A lot of people have studied this before, um, but we were able to partner with thousands of citizen scientists to offer a lot of insight um, on how these two, uh, you know, pretty similar raptors, so similar that a lot of people have trouble telling them apart. Mm-hmm. Um, we were able to uh, partner with them and get some really great information across the, uh, across the, all of North America. And we found that uh, Cooper's hawks tend to eat bigger prey, which isn't surprising because they're bigger birds. Mm-hmm. And uh, sharp-shinned hawks tend to eat smaller prey, which isn't surprising since they, they're, you know, it's a smaller hawk. Mm-hmm. But we also found that cuckoo's hawks were uh, eating that same smaller prey base. And so it was really neat to, you know, see this at such a broad spatial scale. Uh-huh. So choosing by the size of the birds partly, but the Coopers kind of going for both sides. And I, I wonder, you know, Coopers, as I understand it, have been more successful than Sharpies population-wise over the past few decades is that food preference uh tie into that somehow or any, any yeah way think of that? Yeah, yeah yeah that's really cool um and we we don't really know it's a chicken and an egg sort of thing or coopers mm-hmm. and a egg sort of thing um they've really done a great job at, at colonizing urban areas both during the breeding and the, and the non-breeding season 
And whether that's because their preferred prey is there, the preferred prey really seems to be doves. They love doves, be they rock doves, rock pigeons, um, or uh, morning doves, white-winged doves, Eurasian collie doves. Those are all really urban birds, or at least often found in urban areas. And so their their populations are booming in urban areas. Uh, Sharpshins, the winter in urban areas, um, but not to the same degree as coopers, and they're not sort of seeing that massive population boom that coopers have over the last 30, 40 years. Mm-hmm. Interesting. The Sharpies are pretty much stable, though, right, over the last few decades? Yeah, I, I think it's hard to get a great trend estimate for them. It's a hard mm-hmm. bird to survey. Uh, but they're not they're not plummeting, um, you know, since the DDT bands. They certainly have recovered uh, substantially. Mm-hmm. Well, answers developed often lead to more questions. How about in this study? What, what uh, kind of main questions did you uh, find yourself with? <laughs> well, the thing that I'd really like to know um, is why we get these pairs of similar-looking exhibited species all around the globe. You know, we're familiar with uh, coopers and sharpshins in our, uh, you know, broadly across all of North America, they co-occur. They look super similar, really hard to tell apart, totally different uh, prey, as we're, as we're showing here. Um, and, and how did that come to be? Uh, you know, we, it's hard to say here, but if you start looking around the globe, you get multiple uh, sort of case studies to offer some insights. So in Madagascar, you've got Multiple, you've got multiple exhibitor species that all look really similar and are, are different, different size. You've got the same thing in New Zealand, uh, Europe. I'd really like to know, you know, how that comes to be. Why do they look similar? How have they sort of evolved into these different size niches? Mm-hmm. And by uh, the, yep. Yeah. I want to just mention that you know, we talk about this, the uh, information, the data you've got for this, and uh, Project Feeder Watch was, is really uh, where that data came from, right? Yeah, I mean, it's really phenomenal, right? It's it's hard to overstate this. I mean, people have studied these birds before, no question, and it's been a really a, a labor of love. You know, you got to find the nest, climb up there, um, study what what remains are in the nest. And so, yeah, we know a lot about what coopers and sharpshins eat, but it's, it's really at a pretty local scale. Um, and by partnering now with citizen scientists, we're really able to see so much more information at such a broader spatial scale. So it's been been great. There's about 30,000 uh, feeder watchers. This has been going on for well over 30 years now. Mm-hmm. We're getting awesome information on population trends and uh, now what they're eating and doing. Amazing. Yeah, citizen science. What a great thing. And uh, Elliot, we're just about out of time, but to find more details about your study, feederwatch.org is where to go. And uh, I think I found it under the heading more articles. That sound right? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, please check it out. And uh, Join Project Feeder Watch and any other citizen science project you find interesting. Indeed. Elliot Miller is a research scientist at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. He joined us from the lab in Ithaca, New York. Elliot, thank you so much, and we'll look forward to hearing uh, about more of your research for too long. Thanks, Ray. It's been great talking. Thanks. Elliot Miller here on Talking Birds, and up next, it's our Mystery Bird Contest in just one minute. The Flutter of a Tail Feather. The flash of a wing bar in mid-flight. You don't always have a lot of time to identify a bird in nature, let alone to appreciate its beauty. But with Vortex Optics, you'll have the power to bring every wild moment closer. When you choose Vortex, you're choosing to have a partner in the field as passionate about nature as you are. Whether you're spotting old friends on the backyard feeder or packing for a -a once-in-a-lifetime trip to add a few species to your life list, Vortex offers a full range of optics and optics accessories for every birder and every budget. 
And whether the birds are taking you to another state or another country, you're always covered by the Vortex VIP warranty, an unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. If you'd like to learn more, or if you need help choosing your next optic, give Vortex a call at 1-800-4-VORTEX or visit vortexoptics.com. Hate to ascribe qualities to birds, like people say blue jays are mean, for example. But this bird sounds kind of mean. <laughs> it's a gull relative named for two main strategies it uses to acquire food, with the first half of the name referring to its habit of stealing food from other birds, and the second half coming from the German word for hunter. And it's our mystery bird, is what it is here. The number is 781-837-4900. We're later than even usual today, so please give us a call as soon as you can if you'd like to take a guess at our bird or tell us what it is. Beautiful prizes await, including that Brome Mega 600 metal tube feeder from Brome Wild Bird Care, plus a big bag of friendly, bird-friendly, shade-grown, delicious birds and beans coffee. And if you're a winner on our contest, you'll be entered in that drawing for that beautiful binocular or pair of binoculars, if you like, from Vortex, the 8x42 Vortex Viper binocular. Our bird has long pointed falcon-like wings and two central tail feathers in adult birds in breeding plumage that extend well beyond the base of the tail. Two basic forms or morphs distinguished by color. The light morphs are brown across the back and tail with a blackish cap and white collar. In the dark morph, white areas on the head and underparts replaced with brown. In North America, our mystery bird breeds in northern Canada and Alaska and spends winters along the coasts of California and the Carolinas down into Mexico, the West Indies, and points south. What is that mystery bird? Give us a call as soon as you can at 781-837-4900. That's 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, Let's Ask Mike, almost live from the archive. Let's Ask Mike in just one minute. Beautio Books carries one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. New, used, and rare books covering everything from backyard birding to general ornithology. From field guides to photography skills, biography, fiction, and humor. You'll find it all along with the knowledgeable customer service you've been looking for in one convenient place. Beautyobooks.com. B-U-T-E-O. Beautyobooks.com. Quest Nature Tours has offered exceptional tours for bird and nature lovers since 1970. In 2023, join us in search of colorful bird life and jaguars in Brazil or on our brand new Zambia Safari. See amazing wildlife and explore habitats with travel companions who truly enjoy nature. Talkin' Birds listeners receive a $150 credit towards their first tour. Visit QuestNatureTours.com today. Birds and much more, guaranteed. Well, today in our Let's Ask Mike segment, we're celebrating National Bird Day, which occurred last week. Uh, good, mo- good morning, Mike. He's not there. Okay. All right. How are we doing uh, connecting with Mike? We, have we actually done that? I, Wait, I, I have no idea. Uh, I don't know who you are, sir, but could you uh, pretend you're Mike O'Connor just for the next few minutes? Uh, boy, that'd be a challenge, wouldn't it? <laughs> so <laughs> National Bird Day, this was, uh, we're celebrating, this is kind of like uh, John Oliver with uh, last week tonight. 
<laughs> we're, uh, That's right. We're a little bit behind time. <laughs> National yeah. Bird. Well, not many. I don't know. Did a lot of people know about National Bird Day? I certainly didn't, yeah. and you didn't, so no. there's, there's the two people there's that two mattered. Yeah, exactly. Didn't, uh, my wife pointed it out. She's like, just saw it somewhere. She said, hey, did you celebrate National Bird Day? Now, I would have thought we would have known, and two, National Bird Day would be something, you know, go out and put out a new bluebird box or yeah. fill your feeder or, or something about our birds. But actually, it, was, it started in 2002 by organization of... Um, Avian Welfare Coalition and Born Free USA organization, which is to point out the plight of the pet bird industry. And it's something I guess we don't put enough focus on or attention to, but it's, it's it's a big problem. Taking the birds out of the wild for the pet industry is is just a tragic thing. Mm -hmm. In the last, in in an eight year period, they took one and a half million African gray parrots out of the wild just wow. for the pet industry. And that's just the ones that survived the trip. They say 60% don't even survive the trip, and that's just the ones that were done legally. And there's still a whole bunch of illegal stuff going on. So they wanted to point that out, but they also wanted to point out that in 1992, the United States put restrictions on importing wild birds. Number one, because it was inhumane. Number two, because because of the bird flu, I think. And so they put restrictions on it, and they encouraged people to raise birds. So the pet industry switched, at least in this country, to raising captured birds and selling those. The trouble is it turns into, like, according to these people, uh, like puppy mills. Mm -hmm. You know, parrots are just cranking out parrots because there's big money in it. And they go into pet stores and this and that. Oh, like, we're getting played off the rough day. But look that up. National (laughs) Bird Day. You folks that are interested in in what's going on with the pet industry. and Yeah. Sorry we kind of ran out of time there, Mike. But thanks. But we'll, yeah, so we'll direct folks to the uh, website if they want to find out more about this. NationalBirdDayCalendar.com is the, the address for that. NationalBirdDayCalendar.com. Mike, thank you. We'll see you next week. Okay. Sounds good, Ray. Birdwatching Magazine has a new membership program. Benefits include detailed bird ID articles from Ken Kaufman and David Sibley, tips and stories about bird photography, access to quarterly e-workshops on identifying and photographing birds, and complimentary print and digital subscriptions to Birdwatching Magazine. Learn more at birdwatchingdaily.com slash memberships. Well, without, without a whole heck of a lot of, excuse me, a whole heck of a lot of time left for our mystery bird contest, there's our bird. And uh, you've heard the clues, uh, I hope. And I think Chris, somewhere in Minnesota, has heard the clues and joins us right now. Good morning, Chris. Hi there. I'm excited to be here on the show. Well, thank you. We're excited to have you. Would you like to say where in Minnesota? or? Yes, I'm in South St. Paul, Minnesota, which is like a tiny, small town just south of the state capital. All right, South St. Paul. Well, Chris, uh, I think you heard those clues and all that for the uh, mystery bird, and you say uh, what? I think it's a parasitic Jaeger. I think it is, too. That's two of us. Yay. (laughs) Absolutely right. The parasitic Jaeger. I watched one of these uh, from a beach on Cape Cod one time going after uh, some gulls there. It's a pretty wild uh, thing to see. I think we might have time for a bonus question. You want to try it? Oh, give it a Mm, shot. Okay. This (laughs) is kind of a... A weird one here with some silly answers, but it's a silly quiz. Which of the following is the only creature that is born with horns? 
Is it A, the horned lark, B, the great horned owl, C, the horned frog, or D, the giraffe? Those are all... Wow. Yeah, I don't know. The, um, yeah. I love giraffes. I'm going for giraffe, but going, I don't know. Going for You do know, because it's right. Oh, giraffes. amazing. Yeah, both females and males are born with two horn-like structures atop their heads called osicones. Oh, see that? You even knew... You... I remember that now. I just didn't know if they had them when they were born. <laughs> uh, they tell us they, they do, and then uh, later on, and they're pretty harmless, I guess, at that point, uh, kind of covered with a skin and a, a, a layer of, of, of hair. But later on, they become more prominent in the males which use them, they say, for combat over breeding rights with female giraffes. So wow. there you go. So, Chris, thank you. We also have that feather-friendly bird window collision kit for you, as well as those other prizes. Marvelous. Thank All you right. so much. Thank you. Thank you, Chris, from South 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 St. Paul, Minnesota. And we are out of time. Thank you so much for bearing with us and for being with us, and we'll see you next week. The bird show. I like that. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod, birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Vortex Optics, with the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And Quest Nature Tours, offering expert-led small group tours for bird and nature lovers since 1970. Explore exceptional journeys around the world at questnaturetours.com. And Beautio Books, an independent, family-owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. Beautiobooks.com.